Ahoy, fellow Fanadalian toddlies. Toddies, and welcome aboard the Joy of Trek, a solar sails podcast exploring the Bajoran scrolls and Cardassian skeptics of Star Trek. All, all of it. it. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And having a nap in the wooden spaceship is your chief engineer, Greg. Together, we're on a mission through the tachyon eddies of Star Trek to find the fireworks in every phaser bank and the good in every episode. Even the Ministry for the Refutation of Bajoran Fairy Tales. <laughs> because every episode must be someone's favorite, and it might as well be us. So trim the spirit sails and join us as we sail off to... The, the Joy of, of Trek! <laughs> Today we're discussing Explorers, episodes 22 from season 3 of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, first aired on May 8th, 1995, recommended by our friend Miyabi and by Hoofbird, in which... Cisco builds a replica of an ancient Bajoran space vessel and with Jake attempts to prove that the Bajorans developed interstellar travel before Cardassians. That's a complicated sentence to say. Bashir frets over the impending visit of the classmate who graduated first in his class at Starfleet Medical Academy. And we actually have This Is Fun. I think we can even hear it in Hoofbird's voice because oh. our, our, our very experimental technology permits me to hopefully just press this button and hit volume up and then... The screen goes dark. It's a podcast. That doesn't matter. Oh. Color me disappointed. Hello, I'm Hoofford. I've been a follower of the last few years' cockyverse of podcasts, and I'd like to recommend Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 22, Explorers. And I'd like to recommend it for two reasons. One, I think it's possibly the best example of giving a character a hobby or interest that's relatable to modern audiences, but also plausible for the way someone would do it 400 years in the future. Mm -hmm. And two, what's most important to me is that it's all about experimental archaeology. My main hobby is the Society for Creative Anachronism, which is basically a whole bunch of people doing this sort of thing with various yeah. and showing a genuine passion for learning about the past by doing and seeing Cisco do that is, I think, quite meaningful to me. Oh, Is it a filler episode? Yeah, sure. But also, I think it's underrated. Oh, Excellent, yes. Thank you so much, Hoofbird. I mean, it was described as a bottle episode, which it totally is. Oh, but, uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. But it's someone... a brand new bottle. Fair point, yes. Right. And as someone who's like uh, dabbled a bit in blacksmithing, I can really understand the interest that someone would have in uh, oh yes, doing this kind of activities and seeing if you can just like build something like that. I so, wonder if I can. Absolutely, yeah. Because it's also hugely in character for Benjamin Sisko as well. Certainly now that in uh, season three, his character was sort of figured out by the writers quite late. It often takes, you know, several episodes or even seasons for Star Trek series to really find their footing and discover what they're really about. Yeah. And I think, oh, I think it was Iris Stephen Bear or maybe Robert Hewitt Wolf at one point talked about that. It really clicked once we realized that Cisco is a builder. Fair. Right? Yeah. Of communities, of ships. He has a background in uh, overseeing ship construction oh. on Earth. If you'd have asked me, like, what does Cisco do for fun, I'd say, like, he watches baseball. Right. You know, that's and, he, about and he cooks. Yeah. Oh, yes, he does that. He does too, yes. Which are already, like, pretty involved hobbies for the scant spare time that a, a commander... Right. Which is actually something that, like, 
kind of jumped out at me in this episode. So we have this commander of a deep space station, which has like lots of uh, involvement with the Bajorans and the Cardassians. And I assume it's yep. like at the end of season three, I guess they were going through a bit of a lull before... I mean, they had the, the the troubles of the handover in the past, and then later they got the wars with the uh, what you call columns again. The, the, oh yeah. So I guess towards the end of season three, there was a bit of a lull in that. So he might have actually had himself a little bit of free time, which is very obvious because he's just come back from being a library nerd on Bajor, and then he spends <laughs> three know. weeks building this ship, which is like, I mean, damn. That's is that the sort of time frame that you got? Three oh, yes, weeks? of course, because right at the beginning of the episode... Do you happen to know when the Lexington is coming in? Three weeks. Okay, Kate, we have got to sort of recap this episode, but just first impression, before we dive into... Ah, ah my technology. Before we dive into the episode... I've heard it described as a filler, and even, like, Chief Engineer Greg. Hi, Greg! Did you call me just to say hi? Hi. Hi. Pick this one as, you know, an example of a lesser-loved episode. That honestly surprises me. I love this episode. Yeah. It's really meaningful. Like, I've always remembered it. Our friend Miyabi mentioned this as one of the episodes when I was... Okay, I really hope that I'm not putting our, our excellent friend on blast for saying that I asked him for some recommendations of, like, uh-huh. obscure episodes. And he was like, ooh, ooh, like, uh, The Inner Light or Redemption or Best of Both Worlds, you know, legendary episodes, episodes yes. of Star Trek that everyone loves. And then, like, after we were talking for, like, an hour and I keep trying to coach him to, like, some, okay, well, maybe something from the, the deeper cuts from, from Deep Space Nine. Oh, Emissary is pretty good and, you know, What We Left Behind. Okay, no, but those are, again, legendary. Oh, and I guess if I, like, if I really had to sort of pull from it personally, it would be something like explorers you know because of my own complicated relationship with my father and i'm like oh, stop stop there do no, that that's one. The one yes that's that the one, one. <laughs> yes <laughs> like, i mean that's the kind of thing that we, we want to hear from people why they love a particular episode not because it's good but why it had a personal impact on them or why it jumped out to them for personal reasons other than just being a well-beloved episode in general exactly because i've got this little hypothesis that most, if not all, of us, you know, Star Trek fans who who call themselves Trekkies, so not just appreciators of the sci-fi franchises uh-huh. and who enjoys, but those of us who have a space in our heart marked Star Trek that it resides in, we have our own moments that we remember of, of real connection. And those are the sort of Polaroids that we print out to put on that little box in our, our heart for Star Trek. Uh-huh. Where, you know, it can be because of the circumstances in which you saw an episode or a time in your life where it was really Oh, inspiring. yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I think often of an appearance by Avery Brooks, who plays Benjamin Sisko, oh, yeah. at a convention, and there's a sort of Q&A bit, mm-hmm. and a gentleman stands up from the, the audience, a black gentleman, and he talks about how important it was for him to see not just a person with his skin color right. represented on screen, but at the time that Deep Space Nine came out, his child had just been born, and his wife had passed away. Oh, And he right. was suddenly wow. a single father. yeah. And he talks about how important it was to him to see not just a black man, but in particular, like, a single father with a huge responsibility. He's the captain. He's, he's the mayor of a space station. Yeah. And he still had time to have a fulfilling and meaningful relationship with his child. And he thought, like, if Captain Sisko can do it, so can I. Yeah, that's, that is an amazing... Uh What's the word? It's role it's model. That's what I was looking for. Yeah, real tear to my eye yeah. just just thinking about it. So like that was really in my mind as I was I was seeing this episode again, which it may surprise you was originally written for Miles O'Brien. I heard about that. Yes, I guess they wanted the angle because they wouldn't have had the sun angle with O'Brien. Oh, 
oh, that wasn't in the trivia site that I and probably also you right. uh, reviewed prior to this yes, episode. Yes, yes. So if it was Miles, would he have been solo? That would have been weird. Then we'd have to bring a football like Tom Cruise in that. Uh, right. No, Tom, oh, Tom, Tom Cruise, Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yes. <laughs> Uh, was it Wilson? I believe the uh... castaway with Tom Cruise. Yes. Imagine it. <laughs> oh God! No, no. I really, I'd rather not to be honest. Would you have brought Julian? Oh, hmm. That could have worked. I mean, they that are sort of like, fits. I mean, this is like another one of those things in the episode where their the whole friendship, like that Miles O'Brien, is like quite reluctant to admit to. Even here, he goes like, oh, it, it's almost a few times that he almost says like, "I love you," but it's like. But it's the 1990s. But you couldn't, yeah, so they couldn't say, I, I don't hate you anymore. And men can't like, have an express emotion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're Dr. Bashir, aren't you? That's right. I'm Lita. I've been meaning to come by the infirmary to see you. Bashir sitting in Quarks, who has one of the Dabo girls coming here to get a throat swap. Oh, no, <laughs> not just any old Dabo girl. This is Lita. Yeah. Or, or as I've, I have it written down in my notes, and please pardon me, Lita! <laughs> and she's wearing a little catsuit. This is the first appearance of a young woman who uh, works at Quarks, who is eventually going to wind up with Rom, the brother of the proprietor. Right, like she's yes. A, she's, a, she's a young Bajoran woman, and she clearly knows what she likes, and what she likes is this tasty little sort of ham sandwich of a doctor that's just <laughs> yeah. sort of sitting around. I was looking at this, and I was just like, oh, Bashir looks so young. I know. But then again, I suppose he's like four years out of Starfleet, so he's going to yeah. be like late 20s. Little baby Siddig Alpha yeah. Beal, as he was still known by then. Uh, he goes by Alexander Siddig these days. But yeah, he's just, he's so cute. And he's got those, do you know what's, what's funny? When DS9 came out, I did not clock that he was of Arabic descent. Mm. Well, the name didn't give it away? No. I was, oh. Hey, I was very stupid. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> like, I'm still stupid today. I was very stupid when I was younger. And, like, even the name Siddiq El Fadil, oh, I wonder who he plays. Well, even though it says... El, yeah, Bashir, yeah. El Fadil is, like, you know, anything with... Actually, no, I mean, that's interesting, because I've got a colleague called El Hamra, but he's Indonesian, so... Lots of Muslims in, uh, oh, in of Indonesia. Of course, yes. I guess it's more of a Muslim than an Arabic uh, mm-hmm. name. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. Well, uh, I mean, the, the language of Islam is Arabic. I mean, even though the religion is Arabic in nature, most of the people in Indonesia who are Muslims are not of Arabic descent. They're from the local... No, 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 but, uh, exactly. But learning Arabic is a requirement for the, the right. practice of yeah. Islam, as I understand it. Uh, like, the Quran is not translated. It depends on, the, it depends on the, the... Oh, that's true. Yeah, how strict you are. But it's not uncommon for like people to take on uh, a new name when they convert to a particular religion. Yeah. Well, a very famous Cassius Clay, who was born with an incredible name, selected the even more incredible Muhammad Ali. Yeah. So, yes, there's a little bit of a flirting going on there, which gets rudely interrupted by Dax. Bring me a finale and toddy. Very hot. Make that too. I'm feeling a bit of a cough coming on myself. I'm sorry to hear that, Doctor. Oh, please. Call me... Julian. Hi. Do, do you think she knows what she's doing here? Oh, yeah. She knows you, you saw that smirk on her face. She's dog-blocking him? This is Dax. Come on. Like, he's like... <laughs> That's something that you tend to forget with Jatsia, that it's also Dax who is like, yeah, goes back a few generations. So, like, of course they know. <laughs> uh, sorry, I should say she, I guess, because they, uh, yep. I mean, they go with the pronouns of the uh, Trill host uh, that they're uh, inhibiting yeah. at the, t- at, at, uh, no, wait, is the Trill the host or the Trill the? Yes, the Trill is the humanoid, and then there's right, the yes. symbiont. 
So Dax is the symbiont, and they're Trill not known to be gendered. They they don't get gendered pronouns anyway. No, I guess that's why they go with whatever the host is. But I love that, like, uh, Bashir grabs his tablet. Is that immunological data you asked for? And in the, it is now safe to shut down your computer font from Windows 95. It says, go away. How nice of you to put it together for me so quickly. I, uh, I think I'll go over it right now. She is such a bro. Yeah. But then he actually runs after her after she drops this little bombshell that his uh, nemesis is about to arrive on the Lexington in three yeah, weeks' time. Does she know that? Because he just everybody just seems about. everybody seems to know. Because Odo comes in later in the episode, and he also comments like, "Oh, by the way, yeah, the Lexington just arrived." And uh, oh, I thought they were arriving in a few days. She's in uh, Quarks, and but then, that's <laughs> that's after weeks and weeks of Bashir fretting day after day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, Jatsia knows. It's, uh... Oh, I love Quark's bar. It's so beautifully lit. You've got, you've got what, I, I don't know if it's Cardassian or Bajoran architecture. It was there back in the beginning. I, I believe the station was built by the Cardassians, wasn't it? Yeah, which gives it this really alien vibe for all the productions. Like there's these harsh lights yeah. and sort of I mean, gridded. it was originally an ore processing station, as mm-hmm. we see in another episode. I don't uh, we saw Tarek Noor being used as an ore processing facility in a few episodes. On the Mirror Universe with Crossover, Through the Looking Glass, Shattered Mirror, and The Emperor's New Cloak. We saw it in a time travel episode with Things Past. We saw it in another time travel episode, Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. And we also saw it looking back in Odo's perspective with Necessary Evil. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> God, it's so it's so handy to have, have someone aboard who actually knows the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of marveling at the lighting here, because this is something that also, like, Deep Space Nine, they, they had these huge, huge sets, but really inspired sort of integrated lighting, which made it possible to do setups pretty quickly. I mean, oh, they, yeah. They, you can still see that they're bringing in, you know, portrait lights to illuminate key players in, in quarks, but most of the time... I mean, a lot of the time, people can just walk around and the camera can just follow them and they'll be well lit. Just because the set is so uh, so well lit, yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. There's a sort of a, a moment of confidence between him and Jadzia. Like, why is the Belexington a big deal? Well, that yes. contains my nemesis. Yeah. Wasn't she valedictorian? That's right. And you were salutatorian? Second in my class. But if I hadn't mistaken that pre-ganglionic fiber... For a post-ganglionic nerve... She's, she's heard it before. Apparently From so. him, many times. Oh, yes. Now, here comes the most unbelievable part of the entire episode. Okay. Jake is sitting in the quarters. He's working on his story, uh, I suppose, because that's what he's, he's sitting on his pad, and like he immediately puts it away as... Yeah, uh, hides it behind his bag. Right. And he is smiling and laughing, and I've never seen a writer smiling and laughing when they're <laughs> writing a story. So this is like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have, I have no objection i have nothing to interject i've i've lived this life i'm a largely recovered writer myself but no that's that's true it's like so yes uh, oh this is a hollywood trope where you see you know programmers hackers like really in the zone and like yeah. super focused and like talking shit while they're doing it instead of just fretting and like chewing up their fingernails because oh, test five please pass this time yeah. test five please pass this time no 
God, I have to Google equals. What does equals mean again? <laughs> Cisco walks in and he's very enthusiastic about the library he went to visit. And Jake is like, oh, well, yeah, boring library, which is kind of weird for someone who's aspiring to be a writer to find libraries boring, but okay. Oh, I can attest. When I was a writer, <laughs> I didn't read much. Fair. I read several times that that's what you were supposed to do on Twitter, which I read a lot more than I read actual books. I also had people tell me who are uh, uh, aspiring writers who wrote a story and the person who was like reviewed it for them said like, you need to stop reading science fiction. Your work is way too derivative. You know, it's- Oh, <laughs> it's like, they're, stop, uh, they're proofreader. Stop reading so many books. Wow, that's tricky. Yeah, I know, right? It's, uh, so, I, I, okay, guess it depend, I, I guess it depends on the writer, which is the, the good advice for you. I agree that it's unlikely that a writer would be able to stand up. Then again, he is a teenage boy. And this maneuver of putting the pad away and smiling at dad and like immediately distracting him with, uh, with like, oh, cool, you're, you've grown a beard. Like, is something that teenage boys get very good at. Closing when down browser windows. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. It's like, oh, hey, dad, how about them Broncos? Yeah. So apparently the first time he showed up with a beard. What is this? I thought it was time for a change. Finally. But yes, he immediately goes off on wanting to go build a Bajoran lightship because he saw the plans for it in the library and he yeah. wants to build it. And it's apparently partially made out of wood. So he's ordered a lumber shipment in from uh, Bajor. Yep. And what's a saw? And O'Brien. saber saw. Yes. And O'Brien is just baffled. It's like, all I want is to build one of these ships and prove that it's spaseworthy. A computer model could do that. Oh, my God, all that trouble. Why? Because it'll be fun. I mean, like he, like he never tinkered with little steam engines when he was like a... Oh, good Lord. Didn't anybody here build ships in bottles when they were boys? Yeah, but he's got the whole station to do. Like, fair, fair. It's, it's work now. Like, why would you do this? Like, then just transfer to engineering like I did, and I'll put you to work. And meanwhile, Kira is, capital A, capital T, also there. Yeah. And her job is to look back and forth and then to mention, hey... Oh. You sound just like a Cardassian. I beg your pardon? They have denied the possibility of ancient contact for decades because they cannot stand the idea of Bajor having interstellar flight before they did. I'm sorry, I know he's O'Brien. Uh, mm -hmm. O'Brien scoffs at it. Sorry, I'm, I am in the process of re-watching Deep Space Nine with my husband, and he's taken to calling O'Brien Brian-O like he's a Thundercat, and I just cannot get it out of my head. <laughs> so I sort of imagine him as this hunky lion person with the sleeves rolled up. It's amazing. So here we get into a pretty important plot, because this story by Hilary, oh, I forget her name, but she contributed the story, and then it was developed by, uh, I think it was uh, Rene Echeverria, took a lot of inspiration from the 1947 voyage of Thor Heyerdahl. Have you ever heard of the Contiki? Oh, yes. That's a ship that they uh, built to travel from Peru to uh, Hawaii, was Tahiti, it? very good. Yes. Crewed by uh, six Norwegian people in a Swede. And it was to prove the sort of seaworthiness of period-accurate craft. Yeah, it basically was made out of reeds the entire uh, mm -hmm. to float it and, yeah, just to show that they could travel the Pacific with that. And this was to lend credence to Heyerdahl's preferred theory for the origin of the Polynesian and the Hawaiian peoples mm -hmm. uh, and various other people who occupy the Pacific Islands. Like, where did they come from? Because the Pacific is like half the world mm. and 99% of it's Pacific and, and only like 0.01% is island. 
And he thought that they came from South America, yeah. which is not the currently like supported hypothesis based on genetic analysis and also the much more impressive and lesser known voyage of the Hokulea mm-hmm. by the, I think it was called the Polynesian Wayfaring Society. So in the late 90s, early 2000s, this organization, instead of using like old materials, they tried to build a performance accurate voyaging canoe yeah. and used only... The like, original traditional navigational means. Yeah, which were largely like unknown and out of practice. I think on Tokelau, there were still some practitioners who could teach these, some semblance of these techniques, and they had to learn a lot about like wayfinding based on just visual observation of stars and just memory and personal positioning. Yeah. Now you have to stay up all night because you saw where the star rose at night and you can now like keep your you can just remember keep it. your course yeah. and like you you know how the stars drift and how you can correct for that but it's like you're on shifts until 18 hour shifts. Yeah. And a surprising amount of it was also like zoology. Oh, um, yes, like we're seeing a turtle, and like these turtles never happen more than 100 miles away from land. So yes, yes, therefore exactly. we know that there must be an island within 100 miles from now. Let's go find it. And I've it's seen... still a lot of water to cover, but fair, you know. Yeah. Uh, I just I wonder how many like... people died from discovering that information, codifying that information, but yeah, anyway. Well, like, the, the current hypothesis is not a lot. Okay. Like, that the risk of death at sea for Polynesian wayfarers was significantly lower than for uh, European ocean crossers, also because they brought better food with vitamin C in it. Fair point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that like the the current theory isn't that it wasn't populated from South America. But from Asia. But but from Asia. Okay, interesting. Because I I know there are definitely movements which track development from South America because there was a... You know what I'm going to talk about? The the potatoes. Yes. Yes. So there was genetic research into how potatoes developed across the Pacific. And because so, they definitely, they're a new world, exactly, but they came yeah. from America. And they corroborated that with linguistic research of how the word for potato, and, and they match up perfectly. You can just amazing. like, the genetic uh, spread of uh, the potato through the Pacific matches perfectly with the linguistic, with the linguistic uh, 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 spread of the word pota- for potato. It made me so happy. <laughs> I just marveled at the world when, when you showed me that. And yes, this is like Pacific wayfinding they could make it from from asia all the way through all the islands in the pacific and to the americas and back again and back and forth yeah. and like had active active trade and then they didn't for a while mm. then there was like 200 years where nothing happened i think it's called the great pause yeah still one of like the great anthropological historical mysteries of, of humanity not to be confused with the anthropomorphical great pause but <laughs> yeah. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> wow, way to show your furry cred, Kay. <laughs> Actually, that's Moana. Oh, oh fair enough. Yeah. Like the idea of like uh, oh, no longer doing... Settle, settle down for a while and like... Yeah. yeah. And then coming back and like, we know the way. All right. So back on track, because we are not doing an anthropological podcast here. We are talking about the joy of Trek. Thank you very much for everybody who's still with us after this extensive little side <laughs> Oh, <trek>. wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was interesting at least. I don't know. Because what we basically get is an extended montage of Cisco building this... Montage! (laughs) Oh, it makes me so happy. It's glad to see they still use MIG torches in the uh, 21st century. Okay, I wanted to ask you this, because you have some experience doing actual uh, welding, you know, grown-up people stuff. So is that a torch that he's holding, or is it a MIG? It's a MIG torch, yes. Uh, Okay. I mean, you can use them as a prop. I mean, like, I would be surprised if there isn't one of those kicking about most 
TV studios because... Well, like, there's a conspicuous beam blocking the the camera's view right. of the actual contact point, which I was wondering, is that just to protect the camera operator's eyes from the incredible... Probably, probably to protect the camera from the in- incredible amount of UV light that's coming off that thing as well. Oh, uh, so. So there's, an, like, you can tell, which is quite interesting to see. Like, for a moment there, when he pulls away... You can see there's like this long little rod with the glowing bulb coming. Yes, out. exactly. That actually, that, that, that's way too long, but it does look like it's actually been used to weld, right? Because it seems to cool down. Yes, but it's like he's like he clearly doesn't know what he's doing because that's not supposed to be ten centimeters sticking out of the front of your torch. You know, it's supposed to be like a few a centimeter or two at most. Look, if I was but, a props master yeah. and I could give my actors a prop that had the Inferno of the Sun two centimeters farther away from their face, <laughs> their expensive face, so that I'd do that. I mean, he is wearing a proper welder's mask, so, you know, it's... Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's all good, but I think they just use a regular old tick torch for that. It's Sorry, a MIG torch, of course, not a tick torch. Uh, yeah, sure, like I know the difference. <laughs> this is the second most implausible thing that the captain of a spaceship of a space station, the yeah. commander of a space station, pardon me, I'll get there in the end, has all this spare time that isn't constantly interrupted. I know, right? Well, like I said, like maybe there was just a, like a lull in the things that's, you know. And that he can solo build a ship in, in three, three weeks. Time. weeks. Yeah, no. Like, could you just, on your nights and weekends, could you build like a rowboat in that time and sort of seal and burnish and paint it? Probably not, no. I mean, there are people who probably could do that, but that's not the same as I a mean, spaceship with what, like a, a full-on sailboat. There's a, uh, a YouTube channel called Acorn for Arabella, which is about a guy building a sailing boat. It took him oh. seven years. Yeah, okay. And the last year he had a lot of help. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> he's got his engineering sort of outfit on. I'm not sure whether those are civvies because I love he's got the red the, undershirt. He's got all sorts of, like, outfits on. The costumes he, are great. He barely wears his uniform in this episode. But yeah, it, I think this is just meant to look like a blue overalls, you know? He kind of has still yeah. has a red collar, but other than that, it kind of just looks like... Like he's wearing a red command yeah. undershirt. Engineering but, duds. And uh, uh, like he's wearing that as he's home, sitting there with Jake, talking about like, oh, it'll be done soon. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'll take it out on a trip, and the trip will probably be quite short. It, sh- it shouldn't be too long. Oh, no, seems cool, says Jake disinterestedly. And then Cisco springs the trap. So? What? So what do you say you come with me? We'll have a great time. The ship will be ready to go in another week. That's when Leanne is supposed to be getting back from Bajor. No, I really want to see her. And I don't know how long she's going to be here. This was a really, really well done scene. Because Jake does the thing where, as a teenager, he thinks he's being very considerate and, like, he's pacifying his dad. Like, hey, no, I really do want to go. It's just bad timing. Yeah. And Ben Sisko just accepts it mm. right he's heartbroken oh well you can't do it this is a teenage boy yeah i'm not going to force him into into it feels very goofy movie that is incredible <laughs> that's a fantastic pull yeah the, the goofy movie which i did not see until i was in my 40s and no same what here. An incredible thing that movie holds up but yeah it's the same dynamic it's like max wants to go to the concert and goofy really wants to go on the road trip and it's like yeah depending on where in life you are he's like oh come on max go with him he really wants to go on the road trip and on and, yeah. and, and for teenagers like oh, come on goofy he really wants to go to the concert it's like but in this case we also get to learn sort of what's eating jake cisco but yeah i really admired benjamin for just saying like sure 
I understand. And he gives Jake a space, doesn't guilt trip him. We'll, we'll get the next one. Yeah. Uh, there's a little talk between uh, Jatsia and Cisco about kids. And, like, yeah, Jatsia goes, like, well, I've had a few kids of my own. I know yeah. what it's like. And, Been a dad. Yeah. But also, like, from their own personal history, like, she's she's marveling at how he's delving into this construction. Like, oh, I haven't seen you like this for a long time. Like what? So caught up in something. So excited. Not since, um... Not since you and Jennifer decided to have a baby. Jake gets a message from... Wellington, New Zealand. Like, yeah, we uh, don't get to learn what that is. Yeah, that's the message that he's been accepted into the... Uh, immediately. I'm, oh, right. Me. No, no, of course, yeah. But it prompts him to immediately go and visit his, his dad in this yeah. gorgeous little shot where you see the interior of this ship that he's building with a tiny little porthole and a tiny little Jake face there going, hello. Yeah. comes <laughs> like, oh, I want, I want to come anyway. That is a... If you still want me along. Let's go talk about... And they hug. There's, uh, this is something that also... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I keep stopping you because I'm just crazy for the Ben and Jake relationship. Like, mm-hmm. it's very expressive. It's very emotional. It's also very, like, physically affectionate, right? Hugging and touching each other. Something that I also know from my family. We are huggers. We are, we are yeah. touchers. We, we show our affections through wanting to be close. And, like, that's something that uh, was important to Avery Brooks as well to be able to to portray together with uh, with Sorok Lofton, who was just like a child actor. Yeah. But how do you gain that intimacy? Like Avery, in many ways, sort of adopted him and like brought him along to uh, social activities, baseball right. games, to, like build that relationship. And, yeah, to have like a better chemistry uh, uh, on screen, I guess. With uh, yeah. With him. And, Sincerely, because Sorok well, is a of course. I mean, it doesn't have to be insincere. We continue with the terrible, terrible plot of. Oh yeah, we get to learn a little bit more about uh, the nemesis uh, between uh, Bashir and uh, Mrs. Lexington. Yeah, mostly through uh, Jatsia, because he confides in her that the thing that bothers him. Well, don't you see? She could have had this post. She could have taken it from me. No matter what I accomplish while I'm here, somehow that'll always make me feel. Second best. She didn't want DS9. She no, wanted she, the position of the Lexington like yeah. everybody else did. Okay, okay let's, let, let's get this entire plot out, line out of the way, because it's, right. it's paper thin. Uh, we might as well uh, talk it through. So Bashir is, like, fretting over seeing her again and, like, confesses to Jatsia that he feels second best yeah. uh, behind her, which really seems to bother him, which, I mean, like, considering what we later learn about Bashir kind of makes sense, but... Then she finally arrives. She completely blanks him. Do you want to give her a funny nickname? Oh, I, Do you know you and your nicknames? Do you yeah, know well, how you're really good at nicknames, especially oh, when I put you on the spot yeah, straight away? absolutely. Uh, no, she doesn't really have, like, I don't know. I mean, major I'm gonna, features or... Uh, I mean, okay, she reminds me of someone who is... Like she, I mean, better if you put, at medicine if, than you are? If you put her in a dress, then you, she would be like a singer in a speakeasy. You know, oh, I she's get got that. She's, she's got, got that crooner that, vibe. She's got that twenties look. Yeah, the like. Yeah, she's got it's, really it's, fun hair. It's as mostly, well. the, mostly the hair, but also the, the her facial features. So she would not look uh, out of place in a uh, speakeasy. Just give her one of those long cigarette long, holders. Yes, a cigarette holder. I was going to say a long stemmed microphone as well, with that, the same that, the, same effect. Same difference. Sort of. But yeah, she completely blanks him, which like stresses him out even more. And he eventually works up the courage to go and talk to her, and it all turns out that like she barely has any idea who he is. You were Bashir? You sound surprised. Well, I thought 
thought you were in Dorian. As uh, an Andorian, as which an Andorian, was his buddy. Who was the guy who was standing next to him. So, yeah, she got, must have thought that the person who was, like, telling him who Bashir was was, like, pointing at the other guy. Yeah. Uh, and they get along fine, and we never see anything about them again. Because, like, but if you're really that interested, we should go to the infirmary, and I can show you my latest results. I'd love it. And Wink. No, I don't yeah. think it, I don't think no. it was a winky kind of situation. No, no, absolutely not. No, but like she also confides that she got the Lexington, the post that everybody wanted, and but she's kind of like a not, little bit jealous about the fact that he got the time to do actual research and medicine rather than just like. Sometimes it would be months between planetary systems. You wouldn't believe how excited I would get if we actually found something living, even if it was just moss under a rock. <laughs> It's almost like Iris Stephen Bear was sort of winking at Star Trek The Next Generation, like, hey, sitting around and really dealing with consequences is way more interesting than just running around from one adventure to another. Yeah, good point. Uh, and that's the end of that plot line. Like we don't I really see... kind of like that plot line. With just... the exception that there's a, oh yeah, there's like the whole modeling scene where O'Brien and yes, Bashir are is. getting drunk on, uh, I don't know, work core liquid or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, and and doing a very poor rendition of Jerusalem. That was originally going to be Louis Louis and slash or uh, Rocket Man. But they couldn't afford the, yeah, right. <laughs> the rights for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Rocket Man would have been good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this, what is it with O'Brien and always ending up singing? He's a good singer. Uh, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, uh, a, a lot of actors are. I've had the pleasure of hearing uh, Tim Russ. Oh, yes. He's an excellent, like, uh, R&B. Right? I did. Yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, I even directed him a little bit in a, in a small voiceover recording that oh, he did cool. once. Yes. Yeah. I was very proud of that. I'm not bitter at all. I'm not upset about this at all. I want to direct Tim Russ. I want to meet Tim Russ and just have him say that, like, what I was really cool, cocky. But sure, sure, just, like, drop it all casual. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to sit here and cry in my hammock. We will get into that drinking scene when we get there because I I just love a lot of things about it. But in the first, okay, fair enough. But for now, we have Cisco in his civvies in his ready room talking to Ducat. Yes, I suggest you reconsider your plans. Solar vessels are very fragile, and it's a long way to the Denorius Belt at sublight speeds. Don't worry, I'll have emergency equipment on board. If something goes wrong, Major Kira can have a runabout to me within an hour. An hour can be a very long time. Especially if you happen to encounter something unexpected. Andrew Robinson at one point remarked that he thinks in this scene it was just about like him being territorial. Yeah. Like, Ducat, who was the, the former commander of the space station, station yes. was just like, I don't know, there's a lot of envy that he has for Ben Sisko, ah. right? He's his lady's new lover, with the lady being uh, Deep Space Nine. Ah, yes, that makes sense. But uh, yeah, he, he, he's, he, like, he, he throws up several reasons why he shouldn't go and why it's dangerous. and uh, well, shouldn't Sis believe Sis in Bajoran fairy tales. Cisco brushes them all to the side, and uh, eventually he concedes, like, well, in that case, I wish you an uneventful journey, I believe, or, or something along <laughs> those lines, uh, yeah. is what he says. For a moment, says Cisco. I thought that you had been put in charge of the Cardassian Ministry for the refutation of Bajoran fairy tales. Boom. Oh, yeah, that's it. Like, I wish you luck instead. Let's hope you don't need it. Well, <laughs> and Cisco hits end call, grabs his bag and, and leaves. And heads on off. And yes, we see a lovely shot uh, of the ship, which is very 
it it reminds me a lot of the shadow ships from Bab Five, you know. Oh, with those with, big prongs. With those prongs, except that in this case they have sails in between. Yeah. Them. So, it, but it, it, but but the bo- especially the body of the ship is very spiderish, and especially with those long booms. I for got the- that too. I read it more as a beetle, like seeing from behind. Yeah. That seemed like Ferengi ship design. That has very uh, the, the Ferengi's like it's because of the coppery color. I guess mm-hmm. that's like because that's how Ferengi ships are generally colored. Originally, apparently, these ships were meant for uh, zero G, but like Cisco gets a little bit queasy, so he installed a gravity net, which and also and makes you also mentioned makes it a lot cheaper to film too. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, this is all betra- this is all betrayed by the facilities, the head, I believe you call them on board ships, which uh, it, to Jake's distress is like, well, how am I supposed to? How are you supposed to? Um... You'll get the hang of it. That is not helpful. <laughs> Like, at least tell me, like, what is this bit for? Which of the three seashells do I use first? I've seen what the toilet looks like on the International Space Station. And, you know... It looks like a sort of magnified inverted juicero machine. Kind of. You know what the most disturbing part is? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. There's a camera which allows you to line up properly with it. Oh, my... So they do so all sort of saily whaley stuff, yes, right? They, they, they turn the, this, the, lock the, that down. They have the capstans which they have to turn... Jiggle, uh, jiggle, jiggle. ...in order to open the sails. Trim the starboard spread about six degrees. And they, they basically start cribbing across the uh, universe. No, what's... The, They're it, tacking, tacking against the, the light. That, that, yes. Which is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, like, you can tack on the sail. I mean, you kind of need friction for that to make that work. That's what, like, you need the... Uh, the keel for, otherwise that doesn't work. But, you know, fair. spacey okay. wacy. Well, tacking against the light, that would be flying into the sun. Yeah. So why would you do that? No, oh, but, slingshot, maybe. Yeah, good point, yeah. Who knows? The one thing that, like, I was, like, a little bit worried about, or not worried about, is, like, okay, so these are, like, ancient Bajoran spaceships, right? Yeah. Light sail ships. How did they get them into orbit? Okay. So, my husband had the same question, and we had a long talk about that, okay. because there is no explanation. No. And, like, the, the sort of physical design of the ship does not resemble... No, that would not be atmosphere. You, could, you couldn't last, launch out on a rocket. It'd tear itself apart. Well, and also, like, those yeah. sails would need to be miles across... Oh, that's ...in order yes. to uh, attain, according to the modern physics. Yeah. And, like, even during the design phase of this ship, like, they everyone was aware yeah. of that. Yeah, well... And, like, it's... It's it's a beautiful fantasy piece, and you want the the ship to be as light as possible for interstellar. That's why stuff. you make it out of wood. Yes, yeah, which is like a well known material for space construction. Anyway, and also very Wait, good for hold its on. welding. We're, we're not even done. God, also good be for a... its welding properties. Yes, they did a lot of welding wood, didn't they? Yeah. Would wood be a bad construction material for a spacecraft? It's, on the outside, yes. Well, it's. Elastic, yeah, it's insulating and also dries out like crazy if you put it in a vacuum. It does do that, doesn't it? <laughs> so, so much for your elasticity, yeah. <laughs> and the porousness does mean that yeah, the air like, sure can get out, right? Can't it? Like, you mean you might be able to get away with it, like using it for framing on the inside, and so it's not so great for like temperatures above 500 degrees on one side and minus 200 yeah. on the other, or also termites, <laughs> space termites. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you can, sp- <laughs> <laughs> okay. It also just occurred to me that this whole episode is almost a little bit of, like, a reference and a nod to, like, Howard Hughes' Spruce Goose a little bit, almost. Because, like, it's a wooden 
spaceship and like people say it can't be done and then they prove that it can be done like Howard Hughes did with that very short little flight just to make sure that he did not get like sued into oblivion by the US government so Cisco is Howard Hughes now that's what I'm choosing to believe look I I love all these scenes we've got Ben Cisco he's so in his element and Jake is there with him but there's still this hint of tension between them Uh uh-huh and and, and, until, you... until Jake comes clean about, like, oh, he yeah. tells him about the. Actually, first he first he has him read a story. First, you should read this. It's a story I wrote. I go, oh, uh, yes. I thought you were just putting away the space penthouse, but you're actually <laughs> writing a little story. Yeah. Look at you, little guy. Uh, and which she says, like, well, if you'll keep an eye on the rigging, I'll read it right now. He does everything right. This is why he's such a like a a dad role model. Mm-hmm. He doesn't prioritize anything else. His son, whom he wanted this contact with, is opening up his world. So, yeah, of course. That's what I, yeah. what I wanted. I wanted to share the world with my son, mine and, and, and his. And he sits down and reads it. And he uh, offers some constructive criticism, I would say, on the story. It really is awesome. And he also, like, he's not too fulsome in his praise. No. It's like, like, it's like it needs work, yeah. It's like, I enjoyed it. And it's like, just yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything he says is, is true. I liked it. What do you think about the part where Jared thinks he's been betrayed? I don't think that he would confront him with it. Uh, not right away. Yeah. I guess he could wait until he gets back from his demilitarized zone. Yeah, that'd make it more believable. Mm. Showing a little bit of life experience, which he like, then tells Jake, well, you're, you're writing about things that you don't know. It's like, unless you've joined the Marquis without telling me. Uh, and Jake immediately he says, <laughs> "Yeah, uh, I can't talk about it." <laughs> it's such a good gag. Yes, it's such a good gag. I mean, it's a very confronting kind of kind of comment because, like, Jake then goes, "Well, I, I let you read this because yes. yesterday I got a communication from the Pennington School in New Zealand, and uh, they offered me a writing fellowship." Not. Not and I'm not new gonna... New Zealand, old New Zealand, ah, the one on Earth. And I'm not going to take it, which he almost immediately comes out with. Yes. There's very little time between that. And it's like, okay, and this is because he is apparently concerned. I mean, we can only, like, surmise that's his reasoning. But, I mean, that's at least the conclusion that Cisco comes to, is that he's doing this because he doesn't want... Either he feels homesick, he's afraid to leave, or he doesn't yeah. want to leave his dad alone, which is what he professes to be the actual reason. And he tries to set daddy up with a date. How does he know about hot starship captains in your neighborhood? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, him and Nog, they, they watch all the ships coming in. Like, right, and a lot yes. of times they're, they're just ogling, oh, the pretty, the pretty Bajoran girls. Uh, Ooh, yes. Which is... But they're wearing clothes. Hey, is this a thing that straight boys do? Mm, why do you ask me? Cocky, you're asking the wrong people. There's not a single straight in this podcast. No, but like... <laughs> Do you think that that's how it is that like hetero buddies, which is totally awesome, like they spend their time just just looking at girls walking by? Maybe I don't know. It's like with with like Ron Weasley's best line in the entire Harry Potter series is right. I saw this girl walking by. You know how I like it when they walk. Yeah, yeah, Ron, it's your favorite. Everyone knows. A mast support gateway. The starboard sprit is fouling one in the mainsails. Well, can we fix it? I don't think so. Yes, uh, they actually have to jettison, like, a whole chunk of their ship. They, they, they basically start losing sails. 
Well, I mean, they push the buttons to, like, blast the explosive bolts off, so losing isn't exactly... They know where they put them. Fair point. It's so like, this one's catching too much, so we've got to yeah, eject it. Yeah, it's like bumping into the mainsail, so we're going to get rid of it. And it's, like, awfully casual about it, but they can compensate. Well, Cisco's kind of heartbroken, like, oh, we're two days out, we'll never make it like this. Yeah, no. And Jake's got his back. The ancient Bajorans probably ran into these kinds of problems. I suppose they did. Well, did they give up and go home? seems to me we're here to prove that they didn't. What are we waiting for? We'll figure something we'll out. Figure that something ship out. is so gorgeous. And they keep on trucking. Designed by uh, John Knoll mm-hmm. uh, for Star Wars fame uh, at, uh, at it, ILM. It kind of feels like a little bit like the... Uh, oh, what's that ship that like does the whole light sail unfolding? I think it's Count Dooku's ship that, Ooh, does, yeah. that does that. He's got a light sail. Yeah. Very good. I wonder if John Knoll worked on that. Yeah. I mean, I know that he worked at uh, Industrial Light and Magic and did a lot of stuff for, for Star Wars. I think he's credited with the story for Rogue One. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've uh, been kicking around for a while, that one. John Knoll and his brother Thomas Knoll were the adventures of Photoshop. John worked on all the Star Wars prequels, including Count Dooku's Solar Sailor, yes. He worked on the CGI model for uh, Star Trek Generations for the Enterprise D, and he found the time to make this Bajoran ship because he was such a fan of the design that he wanted to work on it. Yes, he's credited with the story for Rogue One, he's won Academy Awards for Pirates of the Caribbean. John Knoll clearly is a legend when it comes to visual effects like this. The two of you unfortunately happened to open up a mirror universe when you mentioned that, so be careful about mentioning stuff about the other uh, Star franchise, or you may end up opening another mirror universe and talking to the evil or good chief engineer Greg. You decide. Oh, the drinking scene. The drinking scene. Julian and Brian O. And yeah. you know that it's 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 Brian O who dragged his buddy out here like no we're gonna have we're gonna have we're gonna have a piss up. Oh, that was really beautiful, Chief. Uh, you know what we should do? What? We should go to Quarks and sing it for everybody. Oh no, I I I think we should switch to Synthale. No, no, this isn't a Synthale kind of night. Singing Jerusalem, just keeping his his, his spirits up. Iris Stephen Bear one of the like most important showrunners for for Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He fought tooth and nail for this scene. He he described it that like every few episodes there is a scene that is my baby and I champion it and I try to keep it in because it's what set Deep Space Nine apart from from the next generation. Yeah. Where they're all pristine and wonderful and like if they have a vice it's oh yoga or being too good at sex or you know something yes, like that. Yes, 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 yes. And here they're just like okay, like two officers having a bit of a piss up because one of them needs a little bit of uh, emotional support from a bottle, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in uniform, one can argue that there's probably a, like a uniform code, no inebriation. Uh, as long as they're in quarters, I think it should be okay. And Brian O, like, does this sort of, like, he really opens up. It says, well, people either love you or hate you. Really? I mean, I hated you when we first met. Yes, I remember. Well, now? And now? Well, now I don't. <sighs> that means a lot to me, Chief. It really does. 
Yes, and like she probably hates you, and like I hated you, and now I don't hate you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, Brian O, just say, say that you love your friend. <laughs> yeah, it's he loves you too. It's it's ugh. apparently this was like I mean I read something about this as well that like there's another part where like he can't admit that he loves. Um, Bashir more than uh, Keiko at some point. That like apparently these two have a bit of a relationship going on. I mean they, yeah, they're yeah, hetero they, life mates. Yeah, like it's it, it's totally fine. True. I mean they go playing uh, racquetball. I think in uh, in the, the and darts and, and they play all sorts of yes. games and, and they're just they're just besties. And they go in like the whole you and suite. I are. Yes. Hey, are you Julian or am I? No, I'm Julian, aren't I? You're you're more Brian. I'm afraid, yeah. You're really. Like, <laughs> sorry, I thought maybe we could have a little sort of little game, but no, I'm definitely the sort of fop. <laughs> uh, I guess that makes me the engineer. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, uh, let's take a quick look around this room, which is your house that we're looking into. How many of the things here did you make yourself, or did do you use sort of regularly to make other things? Which is quite a lot of things, honestly. Uh, especially that box behind you there. But yeah, I was I was, <laughs> I was trying to look at it while still maintaining good microphone direction because I'm a good good podcaster boy. But there's, yeah. there's a lot of things. here. There's a few things here that I've had my hands on. Yes. So quick to the hammocks. Hammock time. I mean, I guess that's the advantage of no gravity. It's like you can just tuck yourself away in a sleeping bag, and as long as the sleeping bag's attached to the wall, you're not going to go anywhere. But if you install the gravity web, you are going to need somewhere to sleep, and so space hammocks. Yay! Yeah! They string them up. This is where Captain Commander Cisco. God, I'm going to have to keep up their names. Ben. Yes. Ben says to his uh, his son about how he was homesick. I wasn't much older than you when I left for San Francisco to go to Starfleet Academy. For the first few days, I was so homesick that I'd go back to my house in New Orleans every night for dinner. I'd materialize in my living room at 6.30 every night and take my seat at the table just like I had come downstairs. We learn here that in, even in a post-scarcity society, you only have like a certain amount of transporter credits. I've, like you can't I've just always go wondered about beaming, that. Yeah. Beaming around willy-nilly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, apparently there's a limited amount of transporting that you are entitled to. I mean, it may be a specific limitation of like Starfleet Academy to avoid exactly this. Fair. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Yeah. But, says Jake. It's not me I'm worried about. It's you. Me? Well, if I go, you'll be all alone. Well, I appreciate you thinking about me, Jake. But please don't turn down this opportunity on my account. And I found you this attractive lady. But they get interrupted before they can continue. Yes, because, because more parts of the ship break crashing, off. Crashing, crashing. Oh, no, oh, no. The, the sails are sort of inverting. And, like, the stars are streaking past yes. them. And we are at warp. Light is pushing us now at super light speeds. Although we later learn that it's tachyon streams, which do travel at super light speeds and apparently can then, like, push a light ship at... Warp speed. Yeah, sure. Sure. Sure, it's Star Trek, you know. Whatever. Yep. Like, that's... Maybe because whatever property of this material allows it to exit the gravity well so easily also protects it from the regular inertia of space once it gets surrounded by tachyons. The inertia of space. Uh-huh. Okay. I, I was just... No. I was just saying some bullshit, but Fair I've enough. said it now, so I'm going to dig in my little heels. And I'm uh, going to say the inertia of space. And, because I'm, and I'm going to move on to the next scene. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, do tachyons have mass? Because he says that know. tachyons don't have... I don't know. Chief Greg. Yes. Do tachyons have mass? <laughs> as far as we're able to tell, tachyons either have 
an imaginary mass or they do not exist because in order for a tachyon to move faster than the speed of light which is what the whole point of a tachyon is they would have to break the barrier of light like a sonic boom and the test the fermilab has conducted in order to to discover if tachyons exist or not have not found the cherenkov radiation that would be emitted by breaking the light barrier akin to a sonic boom. So tachyons by the scientific community as of the time of this writing does not appear to be widely accepted as existing. And while you're at it, can you invert the polarity of the neutron stream? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get right on that. Oh, next up, what's the mass of the Higgs boson? The most recent data, according to CERN, is that the mass of the Higgs boson particle is 125.22 billion electron volts, or GeV. Okay, what's the meaning of life? See, we can just ask him anything. <laughs> Warning, warp core collapse in 10 seconds. Uh, sorry, sir, I'm going to have to get back to you later on that. I've got a bit of a situation here. Fair point, yes. Well, what's the proof for Fermat's last theorem? Oh, no, you're fine, you're fine. No. Sorry, <clears throat> never mind. I mean, that's like, there is proof, but it's like long. Um, but they're in trouble. They can only look out the window. They can't do anything about their speed. The, the astrolabe or whatever it is has fallen on the ground. And I've got yeah. this note written down more like sex can't. Yes. I mean, it's like, okay, so uh, two things about this. Like, it is a, a sex stance in that, uh, ex exactly, which is, which is broken because it fell down. But in the beginning, you see him, like, installing this tool which kind of looks like a compass and it's mm -hmm. got this like weight thing at the bottom to keep it like nice and horizontal yeah uh, like a gyro or something which is a bit weird because like this ship was originally meant to be zero g so that wouldn't do anything well unless it's an inertial gyro that exists mm, yes but they're generally powered you don't get like uh, well imagine if it's like nigh frictionless and you indeed have a zero g ship then a tool like that, you'd be able to read and verify like the maneuvers that you're making, right? Yeah. I mean, but yes, generally an inertial compass is uh, that's the word I'm looking three for. Three or four gyros spinning uh, in uh, various uh, circles around each other, and basically, ideally in a vacuum or like a helium-filled chamber, so that there's like as little friction oh, yeah, greasy, as, greasy helium as, uh, as little friction as possible. Or as my husband calls it, helium. <laughs> <laughs> also, something that I kind of noticed is like when they are doing various maneuvers with this light ship, especially when they are changing their tack. Uh -huh. Then you see them kind of like leaning into the direction that they're moving into. Which is kind of weird if your gravity web is in the floor and you're always straight up, regardless of which way your ship is uh, angled. I I am not <laughs> going to accept that criticism on an episode of Star Fucking Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. Anyway. The, the fact that the two actors are leaning in the same direction is already impressive enough. It's, <laughs> it's still the 90s, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Emergency, emergency, because there are now three Kardashian ships floating outside the window. Yeah. Uh, this happens just as Jake is sort of confirming. No, I'm definitely not. I'll agree to meet her on one condition. What? That you agree not to base your decision about going to Pennington on how our date turns out. Don't worry. I won't. I've already decided to wait at least a year. 
And he says, no, but like you say, a writer needs to write from experience. And you, you gotta admit, Deep Space Nine is a pretty good place to get experience. What is that? Three oh shit, Kardashians. Galore class ships outside. I love those designs. Glorm class uh, Galore. Oh, okay. You haven't been watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians, have you? No, I haven't. <laughs> You'd know that it's, it's, it's galore. I mean, I have actually watched the entire run of DS9. But, oh, it's, but yes. it's several years ago that I, like, at a certain point I decided to sit down and uh, watch the entire show. It and, holds uh, up. Oh, yes. But that is a, a few years ago, like at least four or five years ago. So I'm a little bit rusty on it. And the communication equipment that they suspected was broken because they couldn't get in touch with DS9 suddenly comes alive with the face yes. of Ducat. Who and says, it's like, hi, welcome to the Kardashian system. Congratulations. Hi, yes. He does that thing where he he, he speaks very chipperly yes. through clenched teeth because yes. he's being ordered to. As, as we say in Dutch, laughing like a farmer with a toothache. Oh, yeah, that's all. <laughs> And he's been asked slash required to convey a message from the Cardassian government. Yes. Which goes like this. Your voyage is a testament to the spirit of the ancient Bajorans who first ventured out into space. It could not be more appropriate that your arrival coincides with the discovery here on Cardassia of an ancient crash site. A site that our archaeologists believe contains the remnants of one of the Bajoran vessels whose journey you have just recreated. And then he nods to someone off screen. And I was fully expecting for him to just sort of, okay, job done, <laughs> cut out. Let's just sort of eject a, a, a spare toilet to them and let them sort it out. Job done, at least possible. But no, they are like celebrated with like... Fireworks! It's like the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Part 2, you know, with the funeral for... Oh! Uh, <laughs> oh! Breaking my heart! Thanks, I'm going to have to go and listen to Father and Son by Cat Stevens, because that's just such a great moment. Thanks, Kay! Really, though, thank you, because I want to listen to that again. <laughs> Fireworks in space, what an incredible image. Yes, after the Kardashians, like, admit, tactically admit that, like... You know, oh, and, oh yeah, gosh, what a coincidence. Oh, yeah, we just like found this archaeological dig that uh, it might have actually been a light ship. So, yeah, just geez. now found it, just now. Yeah. Incredible, isn't no, that? No, really. It's like, so yes, they do the thing. Uh, they like admit that like it might have actually been because there was like this like amusing scene where they, uh, the Kardashians didn't want to admit that the Bajorans got into interstellar space before just they did. Just a fairy did. tale. With all due respect, Major, you're beginning to sound like a Romulan. A Romulan? There is no piece of technology in existence they don't claim they invented before everyone else. Look. But there's a lot of bit of, a lot of cultural and technological appropriation going on in Star Trek. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, is you, it really? You know, I that, can't go that, any higher than this. Yes, that, there is a that, lot. That famous line, it's some Klingon who's like talking to, to I think, Kirk, who's like, ah. Oh. You have not experienced Shakespeare until you have read him in the original Klingon. <laughs> yes, okay. which uh, uh, Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. I think so. Yes, the uh, uh, the dinner scene, which gave the linguist Mark Ockrent, who created the A uh, pain in the ass. Yes, because like, because it Klingon doesn't have a to be verb. Yeah, so you can't say to be or not to be. That is yeah. that is something you just don't say. Which makes me wonder. Like there are plenty of other languages without a to be verb. Yeah, how do they do it? I don't know. He, 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 I, I read the story how he worked his way around and what it actually translates into. But I think it's yeah. Yeah, I don't know what it. I can't remember. Maybe Greg can tell us. Oh, hey, Greg. What? According to write it by Shakespeare.org.uk, the problem Klingon had no definitive to be. Akron said on the translation, "Linpach linbi," to live or not live. 
and he was sent to the actor playing General Chang to teach him the line. The actor was none other than veteran Shakespearean Christopher Plummer. Plummer found the suggested translation a little too timid, and he requested a change. Ockren eventually upgraded the verb suffix ta, meaning to continue doing, into a verb, and so Shakespeare was reborn to continue or not to continue, to go on or not go on. Oh, this is so handy. <laughs> I'm. S- he has to work so hard sitting there alone in his little beepy boopy room, just like, sort of waiting around until we yell at him. To- <laughs> oh, yes. Well, we do appreciate that uh, he uh, fulfills his role for us. We would be absolutely nowhere without our chief engineer mm-hmm. watching over us as, as we bumbling space cadets just pull on all the levers. I don't know why he doesn't just beam us into either safety or just space to put us out of our misery. Yeah. But so far, he just he just lets us proceed. I'm... Glad he is here. So, is there anything no, we've missed about this episode? No, there's and and it ends here on the, on the climax. Like, there's no calm down. There's no denouement. There's no button. It doesn't need it. No, it doesn't. Right? It, it's this. It's this wonderful. I I don't understand how how it can be called a, a filler episode because it's so fundamental to not just the characters of Julian, Cisco Junior, and and Senior, but just the character of this show. Right. This yeah. is this is not the next generation. Certainly, in a time where I think the next generation was still on the air at this point. Mm, it was probably wrapping up, but yes. I mean, yes, this is the end yes, of season. This is the end of season three. So, like, they, it might. And Worf have... joined in season uh, four. Oh yeah, wait. They, didn't they destroy the Enterprise at the end of? Teen... Uh, Star Trek like... Generations. That. Happened. Oh yes, that's right. Michael Dorn has been in more episodes of and, and sort yes. of hours of Star Trek than anyone, and oh. that record is in no danger of being broken. Uh, yes, I guess it's so. I think like a close second is uh, O'Brien. It's like he's like also in a lot Rhino. of... Rhino. Rhino, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Michael Lauren has like probably been in the, the most... I don't different. think it's a... Oh, wait. I was going to say, I don't think it's a close second. But yeah, Brian o had like three whole seasons on DS9 yeah. before Worf came along. But then Worf's also been in Picard now. Oh, yes, I guess so. Where uh, he is excellent and so hot as just this silver king. He's amazing. Ah, the silver back Klingon. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. And so, okay, uh, I just love this episode. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Favorite bit? I think that's the scene when it's uh, the commander talking with Brian O and what's her face? Yeah, Kira. And it's like, they're like, why go through all that trouble? And then, why? Because it'll be fun. Yeah. And then you get, like, Brian O's got this, like, flabbergasted look on his face. <laughs> yeah. And Kira has this, yeah, look. And it's like, it's like yes. their expressions are so, such a great contrast to oh, each other. Right. One of them completely gets it, and the other one, like, totally does not. And it's, that is a fantastic gif, as we call the, the, the gif slash gif conundrum. Gif, yes. Oh, like it's not a good compromise unless everybody's unhappy. We're not happy until you're <laughs> not, not happy. happy. Yes. Uh, my favorite, go away. <laughs> Just this pad. Like <laughs> yes. that particular gif <laughs> is really going to get go a lot away. of mileage. <laughs> I'm leaving Starfleet. Energize. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode with your friends Kay and Kaki. Production and editing by Chief Engineer Greg and music by Fox Amore. Join us next time. For Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 1, Strange New Worlds, you can visit us at joyoftrek.com slash links to send us your recommendations, support us on Patreon, or find us on Blue Sky, Instagram, and Facebook. We would love to hear from you. 
Thank you for listening to The Joy of Trek, and we'll see you out there.